still, be still. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He says, be still and know that I am God. All right, Trinity Church, how are you doing today? Great to see you. Can we thank the worship team? What a great start to our day today. So good. Well, like you noticed in the video, we are in week three of a brand new series and a brand new year called Still. We're talking about what do we do with the anxieties and the fears that we face? What does God's word tell us to do with them? Where do we go with them? And I'll, spoiler alert, we bring them to God. And that's what we're learning over the course of this series. We're really glad you're here today on this Martin Luther King uh, holiday weekend. Thank you for joining us. If you're a guest, we're especially grateful that you decided to make this a part of your weekend. So thank you for being here today. Well, what we're going to do, we're going to dive in. If you have a, a Trinity this week, you have notes that look like these. If you want to get those out, have those ready to go. Those will also serve as a prompt in your small groups this week, your home groups. And so have those kind of ready as you kind of take apart a little bit, converse about what we do here today in this service. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings in the Old Testament, and here's a huge help, comes right after 1 Kings. Boom, you're welcome. Thank you. All right, 2 Kings 6, find your way there. Um, what we're doing, so in this series, what we've kind of looked at it to catch you up if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, is we began on week one, Walter came up, Walter Lynn did a great job giving us so many just really thoughtful, practical things to do when anxiety and fear grip our lives. And we kind of laid the foundation that week in Psalm 46 and in Philippians chapter 4. Now, and then last week, what we talked about is, what should our posture be? Not only should we go to God with our fears and our anxieties, what posture then? We talked about this posture of humility, recognizing who is God, who am I, and, and giving that proper sense of respect, that proper sense, I don't want to move from having a, a right understanding of God into entitlement, that somehow God owes me and that he has to, no, he doesn't. We talked a lot about God's sovereign plan and how important that is that I keep aligning myself with that. And so today, through another narrative, this is a narrative I am so excited to look at. Some of you have grown up in church like I did, and, and even from the time of children's church, somehow, I don't remember this story ever making it to the flannel graph. So I am real excited to unpack it with you. You're going to read this, and some of you have read your Bibles through numerous times. And I've never read that before. I guarantee I didn't slip it in your Bible. It's been there all along, but it just didn't raise to the top like I think it should have for all of us. And so I'm excited to dial in. We're going to look today, and what we've said in this series, it really wasn't initially as intentional, was that generally we just wanted to kind of look at the idea of fear and anxiety. But what we're finding is that each week in this series, a, a, a type of fear, a type of anxiety is kind of what bubbles to the top. And this week, what I think you're going to see in this text, and what I want to even lay out for you at the beginning, is the times that when we become fearful and anxious of, of a cultural tide that is turning away from what we read in Scripture. 
The way that God would want people to respond towards him, towards issues, towards one another. And we see a country that's moving away from that. That, for many of us, really develops a sense of anxiety and fear. Some of you in your lifetime have seen so much of a cultural shift in these United States of America that that, that is really troubling. And, and no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, we live in a, in a current day of great strife. So what we're going to see today is what do you do when the fears and anxieties of just where we're at culturally begin to mount? For some of us, they become paralyzing. And what we're going to see is, is in the very same way with other types of fears, we bring those to God. And we're going to see that today through the lens of a narrative with a great, great Bible character named Elisha. So let's look. This is our now what statement. We, we give one of those weekly. It's meant to be more than just a summary statement. But what am I supposed to do? There's an action to God's word. Be hearers, not just hearers of the word, but doers also. So what's my doing this week? And this is the summary of it. Rather than fear those opposed to God, be confident in his control and love your enemies. Number one in your notes, fulfilling God's purpose can put you in an adversarial role with those who oppose him. When you fulfill God's purpose, it can put you in an adversarial role with those opposed to him. I want to say before we read the passage today, what we're not saying is being an adversarial person puts you in an adversarial role. Okay? Some of us, that's our struggle. It's really not so much the message or the stand that you take. You're just a person who brings a lot of adversary to most every situation. That's not this, okay? What we're going to say today is when we live according to God's purposes, by nature, those opposed to God's purposes, we're going to find ourselves in an adversarial position. How do we walk that out? 2 Kings chapter 6, picking it up in verse 18. <clears throat> now, the king of Aram we'll talk about that nation in a minute, was at war with Israel. Israel, by the way, this time is what we call the northern kingdom of Israel, 10 tribes that were to the north of the southern kingdom of Judah. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. So this is a battle tactic, strategy conversation. Verse 9, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. We're going to find out the man of God's name in a minute. He says, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God time and time again, and now that man of God's name, Elisha, warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. This has become so uh, overt that there must be a mole within my officers. And he says, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet, the man of God, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So nothing is concealed to him. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. So let's do this. Let's talk about some contextual things. How do we get in the sandals, as it were, get in the shoes of a narrative that happened 2,700 years ago around the world in the Middle East? That's always the problem when we'll read our Bibles is to say, how do I understand the context of what was going on? Because life is so different in the 21st century in Southern California. 
Well, let's do a little bit of that. We'll introduce you to some of the characters and maybe it'll make a little more sense. Here's what we read. Elisha was the God-picked successor of another incredibly powerful prophet named Elijah. And Elisha served as a, a spokesperson. The word prophet means mouthpiece of God. So he could honestly say, thus saith the Lord. And so Elisha served in the northern kingdom of Israel during a very dark time where Israel was totally immersed in living opposed to God. And remember, Israel, very unlike any other nation on the planet, had a unique covenant, a unique relationship with Yahweh. They had turned their back on him and were living in their own depravity and their own problems. Aram was a growing world power to the northeast of Israel. And so Aram, what they had been doing, their tactic was kind of like, let's try this a little bit. They would send these marauding bands of soldiers down to different villages and towns. They would rape and pillage, and then they'd run back home. So it was just this kind of guerrilla warfare thing, and they'd take off and go back up. Well, their, their tactic has changed. We read earlier that it said that now this king of Aram has declared war on Israel, so it's going to be a full attack. The problem is every strategic tactical move he makes the king of Israel already knows what he's doing. And that's what's driving him insane by the time that we hit this, uh, this scenario. The thing I want you to see today from the very beginning is that Elisha was receiving, we, we see it in the text, Elisha didn't just kind of, he didn't have a crystal ball, he didn't just kind of wonder. God was giving to him revelation to be able to tell the king of Israel, be careful when you go there. And the principle I want you to see at the beginning is that Elisha understood that the information, the revelation from God that he had was not something that was meant to be just sat on. I have this information. Just think of all the good that would do. He, God is able to tell Elisha, the king of Aram is going to be stationed here, and he just kind of sits on his hands and hopes that maybe the king of Israel will figure it out. No, he knew with that information comes responsibility. With that information is something I need to communicate to a king who needs to know it. And I want you to see that from the very beginning today. This weekend we celebrate Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And we think about his influence, his leadership. And we think about it in the same way. Someone who was compelled to speak up. Someone who was compelled to say, this scenario, this situation I was born into in the South. This idea of devaluing human life is wrong, and therefore I have to speak up. I can't be quiet any longer. And it's interesting to me that we've kind of paired Martin Luther King weekend with the Sanctity of Life weekend. And the interest actually should actually be very logical to us because Sanctity of Life, the idea of the sacredness of, of unborn human life, and that extends well beyond children that are in a womb to all men and women. All of human life is unique because it's made in the image of God and therefore has value and worth. And so these two weekends land on top of one another. And today, while there is still much racial reconciliation that needs to happen in America, there is this constant war against, are we going to people, be a people who sit idly by and see unborn children murdered one at a time, hundreds at a time? And what I love is that there are people like the San Bernardino Family and Pregnancy Resource Center who say, you know what, though there's lots of ways to engage that, rather than shouting loudly about the issue, we're just going to light candles. And we're going to provide ways for women to actually have a viable option, a viable opportunity 
to bring a child into this world and whether create a home for that child or create a passageway for them to be adopted, that's what we're here to do. And we love that we get to partner with them. You'll hear a little bit more about kind of our partnership with them in a little bit today. So these are some of the issues as we even engage this particular weekend that when you know something, when you have truth from God, you have to do something with it. And sometimes by the nature of that truth and the nature of the untruth in a particular culture, there's going to be an adversarial issue that bubbles to the top. Back to our narrative, the king of Aram He's confused and thinks there must be a mole, there must be someone leaking this information. And as the conversation comes back to him, he finds out God has a unique messenger, a unique person within the northern kingdom of Israel who's simply telling him of all the tactics. So he says, we're going to do something about this. We're going to shut that guy up so he can't any longer leak this information. Take a look at the map, and you can see a little bit of where we're talking about that this uh, information went on, like, back in this culture in the Middle East. You'll see Dothan is uh, circled kind of in the middle. You'll see it's a little bit a third down from the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, and you'll see it's obviously there in the northern kingdom. Aram is a nation, it's actually off the map. It's further even northeast than I could provide, but that's the direction at least where they're coming from to be able to wage war against, um, against uh, the nation of Israel. Now, here's what we said. We want to try to get into the sandals a little bit. This is how the, our, our first part of our narrative finished, is that he brought a, a strong force, whatever that means, of military might, of chariots, horses, soldiers, and they surrounded the city where Elisha was. I just want to help you a little bit. It's tomorrow morning, okay? Monday morning, you wake up, and whatever your neighborhood is, whatever kind of a development or whatever it is, whatever your neighborhood is, you wake up in the morning and your neighborhood is surrounded by the military force of a nation you're at war with. How's your Monday going? <laughs> I mean, you, you just have to kind of get into the story a little bit to realize why in the world would Elisha and everyone around him be quivering in their boots is because this is what they saw when they got up on Monday. And that kind of fear... That's what we're talking about today. Sometimes our fear is more ideological and sometimes it's right in our face. This is the kind of fear that they were struggling with, is that, man, we're toast. These guys are going to mow us down. We don't have any defenses. We're not ready for this. This is a huge problem. <clears throat> and what I want you to see is that everybody but Elisha froze in fear. But for Elisha... What he had, he had become convinced of, of a couple of things we'll see today that moved well beyond the realm of mental assent. I don't like our, word, our English word believe because it means lots of things to lots of people. Biblically, believe means I have such a confidence in this truth, I'm going to act according to it. Elisha believed that God was absolutely in control of this situation. He had a confidence that he was, when he says, be still and know that I am God, that was more than a Bible verse for Elisha. That was a truth. That was something he lived out of. And we'll see today how do we in, in, engage the same way. In your notes, this is an axiom that we'll continue to use throughout our series. God invites you to find your refuge in him. God invites you to find your refuge in him. We'll see this again and again in these narratives that God presents himself. When he says, be still, it's earlier because he says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. 
Know me this way, God invites us. Let's see what happens next in the narrative. This is when it gets good. Number two, whenever you live according to God's purposes, you're never outnumbered. Whenever you live according to God's purposes, you're never outnumbered. We're continuing in 2 Kings 6, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, so it's Elisha's servant, when he got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Rightly so. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And it's like, that's a really easy thing for someone outside of this city to say right now. What do you mean, don't be afraid? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. And this line we're going to see throughout the day today, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is awesome. I love this story. And so you can imagine, he walks out that morning, Elisha, uh, Elisha's servant comes out, and he goes to do his daily chores, and he sees this, this the whole city surrounded by this military might from a nation that has declared war on them, causes him to shake in his boots. And it's interesting where his servant says what really all of us would say. What do we do? And our options are often like that whole fight or flight idea. What do we do? Do we strap on swords and just go do our best to take them out? Do we run for our lives? Or maybe we do this. Maybe we do what you do when someone comes to the door and you don't want to talk to them. You just ding dong. Dog starts to yell, ding dong. If we're just quiet, they'll go away. You know, what, what are your choices at this time? I, I was thinking about getting ready for today, a time when that happened to me, well beyond just the ding dong doorbell, try to hide. Uh, I've probably told you this story. If I did, forgive me. And if I didn't, forgive me either way. Um, <laughs> I'm a freshman in college, and, and I'm in a dorm room, and there's a bathroom down the hall, kind of common bathroom. I'm coming back. I have a morning shift where I work in the dishroom, so I have to get up early. And I come back, and I come into my room. It's, it, there's a, a draft. It's, it's probably like this time of year, January, February. I come back in my room. It's chilly, and, and I sneeze. When I come back, and then you're like, well, so what? Well, as I come into my room, and, and, and I'll just put it this way nicely. My sneezes rarely are, okay? They're explosions, right? And not just in sound. I'll put it that way, okay? So I get in there. I got this chill. And like, that wouldn't have been much of a story. But then as soon as I do that, the very next thing I hear is, Oh, gross! <laughs> and I looked down and I totally forgot that my roommate had a friend spend the night who was sleeping on the floor. <laughs> that is not the way anyone wants to wake up. <laughs> right? So, oh, gross! And then all I can do is, there's a chance he won't know it's me. You know? <laughs> What a dummy, right? So that's the whole you want to get away. That's, that was my want to get away moment. So, so we have these options, but here's the thing. Fight, flight, hide. But here's a question. In Elisha's servant's mind or in our minds, was there ever the option to pray? 
God, I am freaking out about the fears that I am facing right now. Does that ever move me to just get on my knees and come before God? Elisha did pray. And his servant's eyes, they were open to what had been there all along. Something Elisha could see that his servant couldn't. There were angelic armies. I mean, I love the way it says it's not just that there's an army. It's not like um, some uh, neighboring country and allies sent their forces. This is an army who's on fire. Just think about that for a moment. Who's going to be an army that's on fire? This is cool stuff. This is the kind of stuff the cartoons are made of. You know, you're just kind of like, you know, this whole thing. And I'm sitting there, I'm reading it, and I'm going, this is so cool. His eyes are open. He sees this angelic army that is going to absolutely destroy anything that comes against it. Think about the transition from fear to confidence. Simply because he could see what he couldn't see before. In your notes, the other axiom that we bring, are bringing up in this series, you avert anxiety through prayer, thankfulness, and God's promise of peace. You avert. Doesn't mean that anxiety goes away forever. Doesn't mean that fears fade forever. But in the moment, you don't allow fear and anxiety to have this strangling grip around your neck when you go to God in prayer, thankfulness, and you realize his promise of peace. In this case, interestingly enough, prayer revealed something that Elisha's servant couldn't see otherwise. I don't know if this has happened to you. I'll throw this out as a, as a thing to consider. Has there been a time when you have had fears mounting around you and you actually did remember to do this? You did say, and to be fair, if we're honest, it probably wasn't the knee-jerk reaction of what you did first. You did get moved to worry you did think about fight or flight, but let's say at some point you actually come to this point, I need to bring this thing to God. And in that time, and it maybe it wasn't the first time you prayed about these anxieties or fears, you know, things that have a way of just not going away quickly. Maybe it's financial pressures or just like this gray cloud that hangs over you. It's concerns about the decisions your kids are making. It's fears about some of the health issues that are going on in your body or those around you. Relationship problems. I mean, these kinds of fears. If you came and you brought these things to God, have you ever had it happen? Where in that moment of just prayer and just even silence before God, you, you, you have this thing kind of come across your brain. That you realize, maybe not even in that moment, but shortly thereafter, is actually part of the solution. Or maybe some of us would say it was even a little bit more obvious than that, Todd. It was really what I would call that still, small voice that spoke and said, this is true. Something that was veiled to my eyes, this is actually true. Now, some of you are thinking, man, Todd, you're getting a little bit spiritual and supernatural. You know, it's kind of, you know, let's just keep it to what we can read. Can I just remind you, the God of the Bible you're reading happens to be spiritual and supernatural. <laughs> and how he reveals himself and how he helps you know how to live out the life that he has for you, living out the life of Christ. Now, what powerful moments when he says, be still and let me remind you that I am God. 
I am absolutely in control and I'm helping you understand that more than you did a moment ago. This is what I believe, that prayer can accomplish so many things. Sometimes it wins the battles, just prayer alone, and sometimes it calms the battle within you. But either way, prayer is a powerful, powerful thing that we engage. And here's a concept that floats to the top. I have it in your notes today. As you experience the power and faithfulness of God, you're not as prone to count your enemies as you are to count on your king. The more and more that you experience the power and faithfulness of God, you're less prone to count the things that are opposing you, instead to count on the king who saves. And that axiom, I will just say this, if you have been a believer for five years, ten years, decades, you should see this axiom growing in your life, not becoming stagnant or failing. This is a, a mark of maturity is saying, God, I've seen you be faithful here before. I trust you and I'm going to walk with you to see it. you do it again. I believe that this posture of not counting enemies but counting on a king is really the posture that those who were involved in the peaceable protests in the South under the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This was the posture that he and they had. They looked outnumbered. They looked as though that the tide was never going to change. But they took a position of saying, we're going to entrust ourselves to God. There is a, a group that many of you are familiar with called the Gospel Coalition. It's, it's filled with theologians and pastors who basically want to continue to keep the gospel central in our lives, in our country's lives. And they, they just do some phenomenal things. They did something last April I never even heard about. They met in Memphis for a conference that honored Dr. Martin Luther King, and it honored him after his assassination. It was 50 years to the day they met in the city in which he was killed in Memphis. And I love the tagline, Gospel Reflections from the Mountaintop. Mountaintop is a famous speech or sermon that he gave, and they're just saying, now in the course of these 50 years since, Related to a, a gospel-centric view of humanity, a gospel-centric view of culture, how are things going and what still needs to come? <clears throat> Within that particular conference, there was a presenter named Isaac Adams who gave a spoken word that I just want you to see a couple of minutes of. Take a look. What I love most about intangible things is that without touching anything, they can touch millions of people. Consider dreams. Like the one in 1963, Washington, D.C., the one had by Dr. Martin Luther King, a preacher who had this seed of a vision that was planted in the soil of love. Or should I say he had a seed of love that was planted in the soil of justice. Regardless, this dream wasn't physical matter that you could just put in a box. And that mattered because it meant that though you could stop the Negro from voting, you couldn't stop him from dreaming. 
and dreaming that one day we would all value the dignity God has given every human being, especially the ones deemed ugly, unfit, threatening, or otherwise unnecessary for life. And beloved, we are deceived if we think we are immune from passively or actively reinforcing the marginalized plight. After all, Dr. King had to nonviolently fight some of his own white Christian brothers and sisters who, at worst, hated him. With their Bibles open, they hated him. Or at best, lost sight of a dignity never earned but to all God-given because God made all people in his glorious image. A dignity that makes a person worthy of love and therefore a dignity that makes a person worthy to live. Isn't it tragic that in our day and age when an adoption can cost up to 40K but for, for, for an abortion, 400 bucks is all one needs to pay? I wanna say again, this dignity makes people worthy to live. So when you see those two minutes, they're powerful. And what I love is even the last part of Isaac's presentation connects the dots, like we said earlier, why are we celebrating the sanctity of life weekend, on this same weekend? And it's because really, at the end of the day, it's a, a sacred view and perspective of all human life. As it relates to that of ethnicity and race, as it relates to disabled lives, as it relates to elderly lives, as it relates to that of unborn lives. I told you earlier today, I absolutely am so grateful for and love the partnership that we have with the San Bernardino Family and Pregnancy Resource Center. I love their mission, I love the people who lead it. We have many from Trinity that serve in volunteer capacities and we love what they're doing because what their goal is, in lighting candles, in presenting opportunities for people to not simply take a way out of a really challenging situation. I get it. You're 15 and trying to figure out what do you do with this life. But what I love what they do is even beyond saying that life is precious, that life is God-ordained, that life is valuable, they say, how can we help you, this 15-year-old mom? How can we help the young man who got you pregnant? How can we help that scenario be something that could be a home in which a young child thrives or at least a passageway to a young child being adopted? How can we help? And one of the great things is as Trinity Church, we get to have a role in how we help. Today, I would love for you to go out to the plaza and in going there, you'll notice uh, we have a table set up. Look in your Trinity this week. You'll see a card that looks like this. And this card should look familiar. It was something very similar in your Trinity this week, this weekend last year. And our goal is simply to do this. We have the opportunity to help in very practical, tangible ways to be able to say, we want to be about lighting candles, not just cursing the darkness. Be a part of the solution, not just yelling about the problem. And you'll notice on the back all of these very specific types of things we can bring in. And what you, you'll see out on the plaza today is actually a basket. A basket that's fully resourced with just the initial things a mom would need right out of the gate with a young child. And in every one of those baskets is a baby blanket like this made by a, one of our women's ministries, Helping Hands, that puts these together, donates them all to the San Bernardino Family and Pregnancy Resource Center. And so what a mom will get is a handmade baby blanket and all these different assorted initial things and say, hey, we want to help you as you begin this journey with your child. How awesome is that that we get to be involved this way? And for those of us who are non-sewers, 
That'd be me. There's all kinds of great, very practical things we can bring. These baskets are put together. They're very systematic. That's why the list is very clear of what to bring. And I would encourage you, if you didn't come prepared to do that today, we'll have that table available next weekend. Come and bring those elements. If some of us would say, you know what, Todd? Honestly, I just like, I don't know if I'll be able to do that shopping-wise. I just like to write a check. No problem. Those baskets cost about $50 to assemble. Any fraction of that will go towards putting these baskets together. And you can also give that check out there at the plaza. But we love this partnership. We love being able to come alongside an organization that truly recognizes the value of human life and wants to be a part of the solution. And so I want to encourage you this week and next, let's do that same thing as well and be good partners to them. And when we do this, by the way, and when we do this together, we realize what the verse said a moment ago, those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Finally, today, number three, we wrap it up. Rather than seek revenge, demonstrate genuine kindness towards your enemies. Rather than seek revenge, demonstrate genuine kindness towards your enemies. This is great. You'll love the way this wraps up. Chapter 6, verse 18. As the enemy came down toward him, so remember, they're in their town, surrounded by the armies of Aram. <clears throat> the enemy came down. Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is my favorite part, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria, the capital of Israel. As they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened the, uh, their eyes and they looked and they were inside the walled city of Samaria. By the way, with a bunch of military uh, uh, leaders from Israel pointing you know, swords and, and um, what are those things you throw at people? Spears, Spears at them. Thank you. When the king of Israel saw them, saw that basically he'd hand-delivered the army of Aram, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Look what he says. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after he'd finished eating and drinking, they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. Watch this. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Isn't this the best story ever? Like, I love this narrative. And, and as you, like we've said before, if you're kind of thinking, I've read my Bible, I don't even remember this. This is so great because of all that it entails. Here's what I want you to see, though, and this to me was a powerful thing reading through the story. In your notes, look at this. The angelic army was simply backup. Did you catch that? They never pounced. They never flexed. They never had to do anything. They were there in your notes. They weren't called upon to action to destroy the army of Aram. They were there for Elisha's servant. They never did a thing. All they had to do was stand there, but Elisha's servant's eyes were open, and he realized, we are not alone. Greater are those who are with us than those who are with them. And Elisha pulls off something that only a prophet of God can do. God, make them blind. So here are these guys, imagine, get in their sandals for a minute. They're charging down the hill, coming at the city. They're they know they've got the slip on them. They, they have no idea of what's going to happen, and they go blind halfway down the hill. They're stopping, staggering, trying to figure out, and this is what I love. I would love, I'm going to look forward to this in heaven, just to getting to have lunch with Elisha. 
I would love to hang out with this guy because think about just the way he responds. I would love to sit down and hear him share stories. I would love to sit and laugh with him because I think he has a great sense of humor. I would love to glean from his confidence that he has in God. So Elisha sees all these blind, struggling soldiers and he walks out and he goes, you guys got it all wrong. That guy, Elisha, he doesn't live here. He lives over there. Let me take you. Oh, sure, that'd be great. <laughs> I mean, just, can you imagine? Just, just imagine this. What does, I don't, we don't know how many soldiers there were. So whatever that number is in your head. How does a group of blind soldiers get anywhere? It looks a lot like kindergarten. Everybody hold the rope. And what I love is they didn't just take a little walk. Take a look at the map. Dothan is up higher northeast of Samaria. Samaria, we said, is the capital of Israel at this time. Do we have that map to show? And, uh, and as they do this walk, you'll see the green arrow. It doesn't look that long on a map, and it's really not. But it, it's 12 miles. 12 miles. So, so for perspective, if you were to leave this campus and walk to the San Bernardino County Courthouse... That's a 12-mile walk. I don't mind driving that, but I don't want to walk it. 12 miles holding the rope. <laughs> I love it's such a great story. And he walks him right into this walled city. I know he must have sent a messenger ahead. And so the king of Israel, King Jehoram, he's got all of his military might waiting. They're like, shh, quiet, you know? <laughs> walk him into the city, shut the doors, and then Elisha prays, Lord, open their eyes. Whoa. <laughs> By the way, doesn't this narrative have a lot to say about being able to see and not being able to see? Elisha's servant couldn't see the armies of God ready to defend, and the Lord opens his eyes. In this case, soldiers come running down a hill, and God closes their eyes, and opening them again to realize they're dead meat. The king of Jehoram, he asks Elisha, hey, what should I do? I mean, did you serve these guys up on a platter for a reason? Is this the time to take them out? And Elisha says no. Now, I want, I want you to be clear with this. There are other times in the Old Testament when the nation of Israel does rout other nations, does inflict revenge upon enemies. And I want you to hear this. The reason why is they were under a unique covenant. They were the nation, the people of God in that covenant before Jesus ever showed up. And as a nation, they had a role not only to protect themselves, but even to be an instrument of God's justice. Guess what? We live in a new covenant. We live in a new covenant where the people of God are from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We have no political power on this planet. We have no borders to defend we, the people of God, transcend every nation on this planet. And we are to be a people who live under that new covenant in that new kingdom. And watch, this is what I love about this story. Elisha leads the people into an ethic very similar to the kind of ethic that Jesus brought. The bringer of the new covenant, the bringer of the kingdom, he said things like this related to our enemies. Look up on the screen. From Luke chapter 6, this is the ethic that Jesus taught. He said, if I can find it in my notes, and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. 
Do good to them. In our narrative today, feed them and send them on their way and lend back to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind, watch this, to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That is the ethic we live under. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time. We talk about trying to get in the shoes and sandals of people 2,700 years ago. I have a hard time getting in the shoes and sandals of people 50, 60 years ago in Alabama. And all the racial tensions, even though we have our own series of racial tensions today, I can't even fathom some of the stuff that happened then, but watch this. Maybe some words from Martin Luther King Jr. will help us as we consider, even though we don't understand that same struggle, we do understand the problem with people who oppose us. He said this, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. Can I tell you one thing about that quote that's so powerful? There is some evil in the best of us and some good in the worst of us. What that is is a recognition that the true enemy is never the person you're looking at. Every single human being can be redeemed, but it's the enemy behind them is always the one that Jesus caught our attention to. He truly is the enemy. He has a lot of pawns, but every person who you would stand opposed to at the end of the day, there's always hope that God can redeem that life just like he did yours. Maybe this is a way, another way I would say it in your notes. How you love your enemies says a lot about how you trust your God and how confident you are in his sovereign control of who's in control. How you treat your enemies, how you love your enemies says a lot about how you trust your God and how confident you are in his sovereign control of who's in control. You'll notice, by the way, the kindness that was shown to Israel's enemies caused there to be a season of peace. I will say that season was relatively short. You read on in 2 Kings 6, and Aram's going to come right back again. But in that moment, in that season, that mercy led to peace. How, what a true thing for us to process. When, one of the stories I love, and I've heard this happen numerous times, there will be people who come to evangelical churches like ours and they will accuse them of being judgmental or haters or whatever it is. And they will come outside and they will protest out on the street, even picket. What I love are the times when I've heard churches and knowing that, send a group of people out to them with donuts and bottled water. Just think of that. Here's some sugary goodness and a bottle of water to wash it down while you're yelling really bad things about us. That looks a lot like love your enemy to me. That's the posture. That's the attitude that we want to have. That's what is a kind of love and a kind of forgiveness that the world doesn't understand. And here's the thing I want you to hear. Those churches never changed their position because the cultural trend turned away from God's word. Never once did they come out and say, you're right, we're sorry. They just simply said, in your protest, in your understanding of what we believe and what we're trying to purport, we at least want to love you along the way. We're not talking about compromise. We're talking about kindness. 
And we can live in both of those realities, just like our narrative today, just like other churches who've been exemplary to us. So this week, in the midst of our fears and anxieties related to so many things, but especially related to our cultural trends, let's go to God. Let's find him to be our refuge. And let's remind ourselves that those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Our now what idea, rather than fear those opposed to God, be confident in his control and love your enemies. Let me pray. Father God, we look at this narrative today. It just brings me so much joy. It's a powerful story told in such a witty way. And we love the outcome. We love the, the truths that it represents for us. And God, I pray for us this week. I pray for those of us that as we watch the news, as we see things that trouble us about our country's direction, the world's direction, I pray that rather than be stricken in fear, rather than fight, rather than flight, rather than hide, God, would we pray? Would we pray and would you begin to remind us that you invite us to be our refuge? You invite us in that our fears and our anxieties, they're averted when we pray. Would we use the tools you've given us? Would we find you to be strong? Would we be a people who are still and who know that you are God? Some of you are here today and you would say, Todd, that sounds great. I, I don't really know who God is, meaning I, I might be a deist, I might believe there's a big guy in the sky, but I've never really responded to anything that God has done for me. And I have great news. If that's you today and you want to change that, it's as simple as the ABCs. A is to admit. To admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. To admit that you've lived life on your terms, not God's. And as a result, it is broken and it doesn't work. And here's the wild thing. I didn't even need to tell you that. You already knew. B is believe. Believe that this Jesus we talked about today, this Jesus who ushered in a new covenant, a new ethic, believe that he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, he was raised supernaturally on the third day, believe that Jesus is the only savior available. And see is choose. Choose today to say, Jesus, I lean into, I, I, I believe that what you did 2,000 years ago, you did and it somehow transfers to me, it affects me. I wanna live my life in your strength by your spirit live out your example in my world. I pray you'd make that decision today. Don't let another day go by. Father, this week, would we find you to be the refuge we need so badly? And thank you so much for the fact that you really are for us, not against us. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.